From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Telling, telling it as it is, the Ozzy Cossack on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back to the Ozzy Cossack Show, broadcasting live from the Russian consulate on a brand new time of 7 p.m. Uh, Sydney time. We're looking at all the way until midnight for the next five hours. Uh, we're going to enjoy Saturday Night Live with Ozzy Cossack, that's what we should call it, because that's what it is. It's Saturday Night Live. And uh, if you're anywhere around the world listening, I want to welcome you, uh, especially to our listeners who are uh, joining us from social media platforms where TNT Radio uh, Live is now broadcasting through the video streams. Uh, get the links out there, share them. Uh, ring up any time tonight. I'm going to open up the line straight away on 1-800-670-310 for a action-packed program uh, with some of our uh, f- great friends joining us, honoured guests. In particular, I'm looking forward tonight to speaking later in the program with Major David McBride, found guilty this week of uh, breaking some secrecy uh, or documents that were not supposed to be revealed. You know, uh, these types of offences sometimes are not really offences. They're supposed to be in the public interest. So stay tuned for uh, that coming up shortly. Uh, as we spoke last week with uh, Nat- Natalie from Moscow, who's a lady from Queensland who moved to Russia during the lockdowns, we're going to be coming back to her and uh, switching over to Moscow to get an update of how she's going over there. And any other topics you'd like to talk about tonight, geopolitics, overseas conflicts, domestic news, uh, your grievances with the Australian government. What do you think of Daniel Keneally, the policeman who was found guilty uh, this week for stitching up uh, Luke from isuperlease.com, Luke Moore, someone would like to get on the program. We get the uh, studio to invite him on shortly as well, Luke Moore from isuperlease. And that's a person who, another freedom fighter, who managed to beat the system, Luke Moore, uh, beating uh, Daniel Keneally in court, the son of former Premier Christine Keneally. Christine Keneally, one of my, you could say, targets during the federal election. Uh, during the federal election, she was one of our uh, most notable targets for our campaigns, counter-campaigns during the election. Now, there are a few others that uh, were on the receiving end of our counter campaigns. For example, we had, if you remember back in the days, Fiona Martin. Fiona Martin, where are they all now? Well, they're certainly not in politics, uh, thankfully. And uh, we're not in politics either. But whatever's left in politics is not doing a good job either. And we want to talk about that. What do you think of the future of Australian uh, politics? Uh, do we, Are there any parties out there which can present a credible campaign in the future uh when will the election be called certainly not this year this year's about to end maybe next year coming up uh but the future is not very bright for australia that's the problem uh a very big problem that we have in this country there's not much uh that we can do to stave off the monopoly or the duopoly of the two major parties liberal and labor uh, big shout out to all our regular listeners, to Paul from Mornington, to Alison from Far North Queensland. Welcome to give us a call, 1-800-670-310. Uh, Vladimir Putin has just visited 
Belarusia. We visited his old, old mate in uh, Minsk, uh, the president of Belarusia, Alexander Lukashenko. One of my favorite politicians, in fact. They call him, or the West calls him, the last dictator of Europe. Uh, but he's very popular back home. He's been in power since 1994, and that makes him the longest-serving European president. Uh, he won the presidency in 1994, and since then he's just been in power. Uh, a hardline, old-school uh, party functionary. He was in the uh, Soviet military from 1975 to 1977 and joined the ranks of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union in 1979. And although Belarus is not a communist country, it still retains a lot of the uh, features and especially the optics. Uh, so why was Vladimir Putin in Belarus? Well, Belarus is one of his closest allies. And um, he was talking about artificial intelligence over there uh, while he was visiting and how artificial intelligence is useful. However, it is uh, very dangerous when in the wrong hands, for example, in the hands of Russia's enemies. And although it is useful sometimes, it needs to be uh, monitored and Russia needs to take on its own uh, platform or control or view of artificial intelligence. Meanwhile, on the Ukrainian front, the State Secretary of the Ukrainian Minister of Defense, Lyudmila Darigan revealed uh, that her country needs more women in command positions. Now, there have been quite a lot of women uh, dying on the front lines, plenty of videos of that. And those women on the front lines being mobilized or going as volunteers, look, it's very, very sad that the Ukrainian government is resorting to these measures, uh, mobilizing, forcefully mobilizing all the men. They've run out of men. They've run out of... Um, people of military age, able-bodied men, and now they're desperately recruiting women. It's a big, big uh, tragedy. More and more women appearing in the trenches. Not a good sign for the Ukrainian regime, but the State Secretary of the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, Ludmila Darigan, reveals that uh, we have already overcome the stereotype that women cannot fight. Now we need to overcome the stereotype that a woman cannot command. I'm not sure if that's really the best way forward uh, for Ukraine, but it is a tragedy in the country where there will be no elections in 2024, neither parliamentary nor presidential. That statement was made by the leader of the uh, Servant of the People faction in the Ukrainian parliament. Nobody in the West is forcing us to hold them. These were individual politicians who said that we would need to sit down at the negotiating table with the Russians. So what is the big problem with negotiating? Why are the Ukrainians so worried about negotiating? Is it a matter of losing face? Well, I'll tell you what I think. I think that they realize if there is a negotiated peace deal, a settlement, then that is the end of the Ukrainian regime. Because as soon as there's peace, there is no excuse to continue uh, the re Ukrainian regime, the Zelensky regime in general. All of a sudden, then the whole world will stop supplying funds, stop supplying credit, stop supplying uh, humanitarian help. We know that a lot of this money that they that the Western countries give is just embezzled by uh, the Ukrainian government. So if there is no war, then there's no excuse for embezzlement and money laundering. So of course it's in their interest to keep things going as much as possible. And on the same note, in Kiev, the president 
of Switzerland. Alan Berse has uh, arrived in Kiev uh, to take part in the International Summit uh, for uh, Agricultural Security, uh, another great virtue signaling opportunity for the uh, Western governments who really don't care because it's not their country, it's not their people, and they're happy to fund as much death and killing as possible. Really, somebody should stop the Zelensky regime. Uh, in the future, I think uh, we'll look back and analyze everyone's statements, all the world leaders, what they have said, and we'll uh, see who were the good guys, who were the bad guys, who were pushing war and pushing the genocide of the Ukrainian people and who were being sensible. One of the leaders that is quite sensible, in my opinion, of course, is uh, Viktor Orban of Hungary. I think he's always got a good, sober view on things, and he's been one of the few uh, leaders in the European Union to break rank and... Uh, not follow the rest of the sheep in NATO in supplying weapons and money and credits to the Zelensky regime, which is uh, quite excellent and big credit to him. On the theme of Russians overseas, uh, the Speaker of the Russian State Duma or the State Parliament, Vyacheslav Volodin, has underscored and announced that those Russians who left uh, the country and have uh, become traitors and collaborated against Russia, uh, they will not be welcome back in Russia. Nobody will be waiting for them with open arms, I quote, is the position. Something which I've been very vocal about, if you're a regular listener, long-time listener, is the behavior of Russians overseas when it came to this conflict. And I'm very critical of these uh, traders who thought it was a good idea to go against their own motherland in time of need. And as Russia now emerges out of this conflict, no doubt victorious, uh, this will be an opportunity to clean up the mess and clean up, the, when I'm in the mess, I mean clean up all the traders. Well, anyway, we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break, but that's just a few of the topics which I want to talk about tonight. Some of them, uh, you may not like, you may you may like, you may disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, please give me a call tonight on 1-800-670-310, Saturday Night Live with the Aussie Cossack on TNT Radio. You should hear what George Eliason is talking about. Donald Trump's wolves. Now, we've talked about the Colorado case, the 14th Amendment case, and the judge has denied uh, the motion to dismiss. Now, if you don't remember, the suit cites the 14th Amendment clause banning those who participate or assist in the insurrection from taking office. And they're making this legal argument based on Trump's actions before and on January 6th. And when they claim that thousands of his supporters were creating an act of sedition at the Capitol. During January 6th, um, Trump actually offered to call the National Guard in. He told the protesters to keep things peaceful. And this is all public knowledge. This isn't a political action. They're trying to control once again who can run for the office of president and who cannot. War of the Worlds with George Eliason on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, 
because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get Rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. TNT Radio's Simeon Boykoff for you tonight uh, till midnight, going for the next few hours, uh, 7.20 p.m. Sydney time. Welcome now to our next guest on the show. It's a gentleman from Crimea, political scientist Sergei Melnichuk, and we will uh, be looking forward to him uh, later on in the program. It's always nice to talk to Crimea, territory which is not recognized as Russia by many of the Western governments, but who cares? Because the Western governments uh, can say whatever they like, but it's up to the people of Crimea to decide which country they want to be with, and they have made their choice, and that choice was uh, to be with Russia. Now, back in domestic politics, and I know some of you like to listen to domestic politics rather than uh, international politics on this show, uh, the escalations continue between uh, China and Australia, and this follows uh, the so-called sonar attack on an Australian warship, the HMAS Toowoomba. Uh, Beijing, of course, does not consider that to be an attack. They say that they were just checking the waters in the area, and commentators have uh, co noticed that this is a part of a pattern where China pushes in the legal gray zone between an outright act of war, uh, claiming it's a deadly game. 
the Australian media has been up in arms about two Royal Australian Navy divers who were injured last week when the Chinese warship activated its uh, sonar close to the HMAS Toowoomba. Uh, but the Australian government uh, uh, maintains that the Australian frigate was actually disabled at that time. It was basically a sitting duck sitting in the waters between uh, China and Japan. Now, my question is, how embarrassing for the Royal Australian Navy, where you've got an Australian frigate is more or less a sitting duck sitting in the water with his propellers tangled in a fishing net is the official narrative. Uh, I don't think that is true. I think that divers in the water and a frigate in sensitive waters, very probably the, one of the most sensitive maritime areas in the world, the East China Sea. And of course, the Chinese would be very upset and wondering what the Australian ship was doing there. Just imagine if that was a Chinese ship sitting off the coast of Sydney Harbour with divers in the water. No doubt uh, the Australian Navy and the Australian government would be very, very worried and very upset as to why there's a Chinese ship lurking in the waters. But it was the Chinese destroyer Ningbo which uh, acknowledged that it had received uh, Toowoomba's warnings. But the question is, did Toowoomba warn that it was there or did it warn that there were divers in the water? Now, the Australian media, the Australian government have been very quick to blame China for what they call was a physical assault using powerful underwater sound waves. Well, have a look at what the Australian government did in Canberra to us, the lockdown protesters, where they used a powerful LRAD sound waves to attack protesters. So the Australian government wants to complain where when the Chinese use sound waves in the water. What about when they did it against us, the people? When they attacked the people with sound waves outside Parliament House? I know because I was there and many people received burns and they also were feeling unwell as a result of uh, that attack. Maritime incidents and gunboat diplomacy, uh, something of a rising trend around the world, whether it be in the Black Sea, around Crimea, involving uh, NATO vessels, or whether it be outside uh, the Chinese mainland, in and around the Korean Peninsula or the Japanese mainland. And to discuss uh, this uh, geopolitical kerfuffle uh, involving uh, Australia, China, and the countries that ally with uh, those nations in their respective military alliances. On the line is political scientist Sergei Milnichuk joining us from Crimea. Sergei, welcome to TNT Radio. Hello, Simeon. I'm glad to be here today. Sergei, welcome. And you're probably aware of this story about this incident involving an Australian warship outside uh, Chinese uh, waters. Uh, the Australians claim that they were in Japanese waters. The Chinese say no. They were, there were not Japanese waters. I'm sure if they were in Japanese waters, there would be uh, a lot of uh, controversy about that. Um, what, what's the Russian view on all of this? Um, do the Russians understand where you are in Crimea that this is another example of Western warships loitering and provocating the Chinese Navy and then playing the victim? Well, people in Russia in general, uh, well, they like to... Uh, to check the news and to see what's happening around the world. So this situation was also 
uh, well, monitored by people here. And I shall say that, in my opinion, this case is just one another example uh, of uh, the uh, global scale of the conflict which is happening in the world. Uh, I mean that this case, it wasn't, thankfully, there was no tragedy in the end. Yet, uh, there was a possibility in which uh, Chinese and Australian uh, military fleet might have entered the conflict. Uh, what I'm trying to say here is that the risks were here just for the sake of the, this global control of the strategic logistics routes, which every global power now wants to control. So this specific situation involving uh, the uh, <clears throat> uh, waters of China or Japan is it actually a difficult question because there is a lot of disputes between China and its neighbors involving the uh, exclusive rights to sail in several waters, exclusive trading rights, and something like this. So here we can see just uh, uh, new tensions erupting due to those disputes, due to those disputes, and uh, actually. Western powers, in, well, including the United States, including Australia, are pretty interested in supporting countries which, are, uh, which have dis disputes with China. The United States has released a report uh, recently uh, detailing of what it claims uh, the People's Republics of China coercive and risky behaviour. And they've listed a few examples with maritime incidents at sea in February 2022, a Chinese naval ship directed a laser at an Australian P-8A Poseidon aircraft operating in Australia's exclusive economic zone, endangering the health of Australian airmen. Uh, while flying a mission between April and May 2022, a Canadian CP-140 patrol aircraft with a subject of harassment by the People's Liberation Army Air Force fighter jets which on occasions attempted to divert Canadian CP-140s. During a routine May 2022 maritime surveillance flight by an Australian P-8A aircraft in the South China Sea, a Chinese J-16 conducted a dangerous intercept manoeuvre which posed a safety threat to the P-8A and its aircrew. The Australian government issued a press release on this event. Then in June 2022, uh, a Chinese J-16 cut across the nose of another Australian P-8A Poseidon that was operating over the South China Sea. The Chinese jet released a round of chaff which was ingested into the Australian aircraft's engine. Uh, this is a, just, these are just a few examples of a long list of incidents, but what you'll notice in these incidents is it involves Australian aircraft, uh, United States aircraft, Canadian aircraft, but they're not in Australian waters. They're not in Canadian waters, not in US waters. They're in the South China Sea or the East China Sea. So it's a case of uh, provocating China in their backyard, literally on their doorstep. China takes defensive measures, uh, creative defensive measures, such as cutting across the air path of those planes, um, releasing uh, countermeasures, non-lethal measures, we could call them. And then it's actually uh, the West. So in this case, the Australians, the Americans and the China and the uh, Canadians who play the victim and they claim that China is being aggressive. Uh, Sergey, as a political scientist in Crimea, what do you make of this approach from the West of provocating and then playing the victim? 
of this situation is pretty much similar to the things which are happening on the Russian Western border. What I mean by that is the United States and its allies are trying to build some sort of a system of containment. So if they see some countries as being a threat to their global hegemony, they want to build a very uh, strong system uh, to contain them. In that case, I mean the sea control. If United States want to uh, imply against the China by using the waters of Japan, of uh, island of Taiwan, uh, which it tries to, uh, uh, well, the United States are trying not to let Taiwan to reunite with China, using the waters of Philippines, using the waters of Indonesia and Australia, of course, too. The uh, United States is seeking a way to contain China, uh, to prevent it from building the strong uh, naval influence in the area. So in that way, China, of course, uh, is seeking for ways to protect itself from any uh, potential threats coming from those large areas of American control. And uh, I believe that there will be more situations like uh, this between China and Australia, with other nations too, it may happen, with Japanese fleet, with American fleet, or any other, uh, for example, British fleet, it will be there, uh, but it will, they will certainly appear the Western ships because they will try to find a way to contain China. And furthermore, I believe that there will be much more uh, those instances when Western powers try to provoke China this way to show that their ways are pretty, pretty clear. They are interested in, uh, uh, in slowing China development in this way and to uh, inflicting some containment measures against them. Do you think that China has the right and the Chinese Defense Force, the People's Liberation Army and Air Force have the right to harass Western uh, naval vessels who are loitering or patrolling uh, coastal waters outside uh, the uh, Chinese mainland in the East China Sea or the South China Sea? Well, as I said earlier, China has lots of disputes involving the exclusive rights to waters in South China Sea and East China Sea. Uh, I believe that the Chinese government will try to define some specific sphere of influence there because of those disputes, uh, China faces a lot of difficulties as for uh, building the control sphere. And I believe that that will take some time for Chinese government to uh, to make some uh, agreements uh, involving, for example, Vietnam, Malaysia, Indonesia, and other countries which they face uh, disputes around the sea borders. And uh, in that way, there will be a lot of provocation uh, by the Western powers, because they will use those disputes uh, to uh, find ways to threat China. And uh, as for this moment, Chinese government was fighting quite uh, an elegant ways to prevent provocations by the West. So if uh, we return to the specific question, uh, if that be okay, the Chinese uh, flea would harass Western flea. I believe that there would be no uh, really specific harassment. There would be just some ways to show power from both sides. 
but none of them would enter a real conflict involving uh, victims. What are the chances of, in your opinion, of China actually uh, invading uh, Taiwan? The American uh, report uh, on the military and security developments involving the uh, People's Republic of China claims that uh, the People's Liberation Army uh, with enhanced firepower mobility and rapid strike capabilities uh, is rating the potential for a Taiwan invasion scenario uh, likely to include extensive amphibious army aviation air assault operations. Uh, is this just empty accusations from the side of the Americans, or do you think there is actually a chance uh, that China will uh, make that move and decide to take Taiwan by force? Well, first of all, I believe I shall say that Chinese government was looking for a ways to reunite with Taiwan for many years. And many Chinese leaders were trying to find some peaceful ways of this reunification. Furthermore, we shall say that there was no open-armed conflict between China and Taiwan ever since the Chinese Civil War. So uh, this aspect was pretty important because uh, both sides, both Chinese government and current government in Taiwan, uh, they were, I shall say, in some ways finding some points to connect their opinions, they were looking for ways to peacefully reunify. Yet again, the United States did everything to prevent such reunification. And uh, the current government uh, in Taiwan is pretty much opposing any ways of reunifying with China, and it is heavily dependent of uh, American rearmament. So Taiwan is preparing for the conflict because Taiwan isn't interested anymore in reunifying with China. And again, Chinese government never announced its claim to the island, and the fact that it is, that they insisted on the fact that the island is rightfully part of China. Well, technically, the government in Taiwan also never uh, re resisted the fact that they are Chinese territory. They only claim the entirety of other China. They claim to be an alternative government. So, Taiwan's situation is much more serious than just an island that tries to break away. It is an, a, a government which is claims to control the entirety of China. And uh, for the PRC government, this is quite uh, an existential threat in a way, because the United States showing a lot of support to Taiwanese government. So in this way, Chinese uh, PRC government uh, never rejected the possibilities in which uh, People's Liberation Army might try to inflict an operation against the government in Taiwan to find the way to unify. And the, if we look at the facts, we will see that the United States is doing everything to rearm Taiwan for this exact scenario. So the possibility of PRC trying to return control over Taiwan using military methods is growing every day. Staying in the Asia-Pacific region, but moving uh, further southwest, uh, India is bizarrely running military drills with the United States and Russia at the same time. So they've got the Indian Navy has split into two parts. At the same time, oh, they're, they're carrying out drills with Russia. They're carrying out drills with America. And that's quite indicative and quite symbolic of India's ability 
to maintain a good relationship with Russia and uh, the Western powers uh, at a time where many countries were forced to take a position uh, on the Ukraine war. Uh, amid the uh, ongoing uh, war in Ukraine, the NATO war in Ukraine, uh, two Russian destroyers from Russia's Pacific Fleet uh, have just finished military exercises uh, together with the Indian Navy in the Bay of Bengal. Uh, these Russian uh, destroyers were also involved previously in the last few weeks with uh, with exercises with the Indonesian Navy. The participating vessels from Russia's Pacific Fleet include the Admiral uh, Tributz, an anti-submarine destroyer. And in the second week of November, Russia initiated the Myanmar-Russian maritime security exercise in its inaugural joint naval exercise with Myanmar. So the Russians are quite active in uh, the Asia-Pacific zone. And it's a obviously a signal, it's a very serious signal to countries who Russia does not wish to participate with, for example, Australia. But at the same time, uh, these Indian exercises are taking place with Russian uh, Navy ships. The US Army and the Indian Army are engaged in coordinated uh, Vajra Praha exercise, which is being held in Umroy, Meghalaya. And that was initiated on November the 21st, the same time as these Russian ships were ex conducting their exercise in the Bang Bengal with the Indian Navy. Uh, that's the 14th edition of the joint Indo-US Special Forces. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Special Forces personnel from the Eastern Command are uh, engaged with the uh, Indian contingent. Is it a direct uh, coincidence, or not a coincidence, should I say, that these exercises taking place at the same time is that do you think there's a signal that india is trying to send uh showing that it's willing to be friends and be very close friends and military partners with both sides in the multipolar world the u.s faction and the russian faction uh, i totally agree with you here because india has been has uh protected its neutrality in a geopolitical uh way is uh, India protected its neutrality for many years now. India was always interested in finding uh, ways to cooperate with both West and Russia at the same time. There was a lot of economic ties between India and West for many years. And those ties were growing uh, in, the, in the last decade pretty rapidly. At the same time, however, ties with Russia and also in an economic way were growing too. And India currently is quite interested in uh, Russian natural resources. And this aspect is very important because India uh, finding ways to cooperate with both, I should say, sides of a, a new Cold War. India is showing that it isn't interested in entering uh, conflict in any way. Not, in, of course, open-armed and not, of course, in an informational way or economic way. India isn't interested to be the part uh, of any alliance. Uh, or India, of course, is part of the BRICS, yet BRICS isn't a military alliance, of course. It's an economic one. So using those ties between Russia and the West, India is managing to, fight, to find uh, uh, ways to uh, grow its economy using the trade. Because trade 
uh, is very important for India now. It is very dependent on it. So, considering this fact, I believe that India wants to show to Russia and to West at the same time that it would, wouldn't take sides and will still be neutral. It's a very good position, in my opinion, and I wish Australia would uh, take more of an example and follow uh, follow India's example, should I say, in declaring neutrality and having a balanced position in a very volatile uh, world, which is on the on the grip of World War Three or in the beginning stages of World War Three. Although I think in recent times uh, the the threat of World War Three has some somewhat dissipated, and things look like they are stabilizing in comparison to uh, three months ago, where things looked like they were about to uh, uh, really take off on a, a dangerous trajectory. Uh, do you think the risk of World War Three is uh, decreasing, Sergei? Well, I remember that on the uh, previous broadcast, we were discussing the risks of World War Three, and I mentioned that I believe that there will, will be no large global conflict similar to World War One or Two, And I believe that things that I was talking about are pretty much staying the same. Uh, I think we will not see the global conflict like nuclear war or something like this. There will be a lot of smaller conflicts uh, in which global powers will try to gain some profit. And currently there are happening several conflicts in the world uh, of course, uh, Russian special military operation, conflict between Israel and Palestine, and several other conflicts in the world, uh, they are quite far from resolving. So uh, I believe that this is as much as we're going to get. We won't see the global nuclear war. We will see such small scale, oh, well, I can't uh, call the Russian special military operation a small scale conflict, yet it is still not a world war free. So I think we will not see such a global conflict. We will see a lot of smaller conflict conflicts around the world. 2024 is the year uh, Russia will conduct uh, its uh, elections, federal presidential elections, and uh, we've got a few ideas on who may be the favorite candidate. Uh, stay tuned with us on the other side of this break. We'll continue the conversation with Sergei, uh, a political scientist from Crimea, and we'll talk about who the other candidates may be uh, for the Russian presidential race in 2023. Back right after this break on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. With Joe Biden behind in just about every presidential poll, the strategy of the left seems to be to go after Donald Trump even harder than they've been doing for the past eight years, if that's even possible. And on the media side, Joe Scarborough, whose brother-in-law works in the Biden administration, seems to be leading the charge. He will do, he will get away with, he will imprison, he will execute whoever he's allowed to imprison execute, uh, 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 drive from the country. Just look at his past. And as unhinged as that was, it's nothing compared to what New York Democrat Congressman Dan Golden said the other day. It is just uh, uh, unquestionable at this point that that man cannot see public office again. He is not only unfit, 
He is destructive to our democracy, uh, and he has to be uh, he has to be eliminated. Now, after receiving some well-deserved criticism, Goldman apologized, said he didn't mean to use that word, eliminated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is all the left has left. So watch for more of the same. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday to Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. Right, I've got cancer. I've been trying to tell the rest of you, but no one's listening. And I don't just mean you, ears, eyes. Would you look in the damn toilet for once? Hands, roll those sleeves and take a sample. And legs, trot off to the doctor to get me looked at. Because bowel cancer can be successfully treated when detected early. Now look who's finally woken up. You're with the Aussie Cossack on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Aussie Cossack Show, Saturday Night Live. Uh, 2024 is the year where Russia is scheduled to conduct its uh, presidential elections in March, which is very, very close. We've only got a few months left. Uh, really, let's call it four months. Uh, in accordance with the country's electoral law, the first round will be held on Sunday, the 17th of March. Uh, the current, of course, President Vladimir Putin has not yet announced whether he will run uh, for re-election, although it's uh, widely speculated and you could say even assumed uh, that he will. In September 2023, Putin stated that he would uh, only make an announcement after the election is called. Uh, there have been a few candidates who have popped up, and to discuss this uh, very intriguing situation, uh, we are now joined on the line by uh, Crimean political scientist Sergei Milichuk. Sergei, welcome back to TNT Radio. Well, thanks again. I'm glad to be here with you too. Sergei, there's a few candidates there, and uh, I wonder if you can give us uh, your opinion on them. We'll start with one of the more controversial uh, candidates that's put his name forward, and that man is Igor Strelkov, also known as Igor Girkin, who is currently, uh, as I understand, uh, in um, pre-sentence attention. He's in prison. Uh, he has announced his intention to participate in the elections, uh, although some of the uh, individuals that have announced their indication to participate have not yet submitted uh, documents and registered with the Central Election Commission. Uh, let's start with uh, this uh, candidate who has given uh, his uh, indicated his intentions. How seriously can we take his uh, announcement of uh, intention to run as a candidate against Vladimir Putin in three months' time from prison, should I add? Well, first of all, I shall say that there would be a lot of difficulties involving the law if Strelkov would try to uh, run for the presidency. First of all, he's still in detention, so it would be quite difficult for him to actually uh, run his presidential company and uh, an electoral process would be quite difficult for him and the second problem is of course that uh, russian law uh, provides people with several uh, 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 with criminal records uh, on several uh, on several um, yes i'm sorry so the criminal records uh, are preventing people from trying to run for the presidency uh, in uh, several years after they uh, they were 
given this record. So, so the, your your, your uh, chances for Stelkov actually running uh, are quite slim. There's a few other candidates uh, from United Russia. Maxim Areshkin, the economic advisor to the president of Russia, uh, he has expressed interest uh, running uh, against Vladimir Putin. What do you make of Maxim Areshkin? I really think that uh, he should be considered a candidate uh, well against Vladimir Putin because uh, uh, in a way United Russia uh, was always allied to Vladimir Putin and uh, I don't think that this party would try to uh, create some tensions and uh, finding some other candidates to support. So okay, so we can we can uh, cross him off the list. He's not going to be uh, running against his own boss, as he was appointed by Putin uh, as an economic advisor to the president of Russia. Uh, Just Russia for Truth uh, candidate Oleg Brichak, uh, deputy of the Pskov City Duma. Uh, have you heard of this guy? Does he have any chance? Uh, you know, honestly, this candidate, I'm not sure of him, and. Uh, uh, honestly, I don't know what to say in his, about his chances because of the fact that I haven't heard about him. So, <clears throat> um, Does, doesn't look doesn't look uh, a good sign for him if you haven't heard of him. The Communist Party of the Russian Federation is also putting forward a candidate, uh, or at least this candidate has expressed interest. Pavel Grudinin, the CEO of the Lenin State Farm, former deputy of the Moscow Oblast Duma, he was a candidate in the 2018 uh, presidential election. Uh, Pavel Grudinin, what do you make of his chances uh, to run for president? Well, uh, I remember when Grudinin, Grudinin was trying to run for the presidency previous time, and well, he showed a better results than uh, the Communist Party leader Zyuganov, who was trying to run for the presidency for the previous years up, up since uh, the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union. Yet, I think that uh, currently uh, communists are not uh, the uh, power to be considered in the elections. Communism is not a popular direction currently in Russia. So candidates uh, which follow the communist uh, principles, the communist ideology, uh, I don't think that they have uh, much chances in the elections, especially when we take into consideration that Vladimir Putin most likely to be the candidate. Well, Pavel Grudinin at the last election in 2018 he got the second highest amount of votes after Vladimir Putin. Uh, Vladimir Putin uh, ran as an independent in 2018 with 56.4 million votes, representing 76.69% of the overall tally. Pavel Grudinin for the Communist Party uh, received 8.6 million votes, representing 11.7%. Now, the closest uh, runner after the Communist Party was uh, Vladimir Zhirinovsky from the Liberal Democrats Party with 5.6%, and unfortunately he passed away uh, in the beginning of last year. Uh, is there anyone from the LDP, from the uh, party of Vladimir Zhirinovsky, who you think could have a chance? Well, I believe that the party would try uh, to find the candidate anyway. Uh, most likely the candidate to be is the current party leader, uh, uh, I mean, Slutsky, I believe you know him. Uh, he is currently uh, is a deputy in Russian parliament. And uh, currently, well, the Liberal Democratic Party of Russia is experiencing quite a hard times because 
after Vladimir Zhirinovsky passed away, there was a lot uh, of struggle to find the new concept for the party, the way it would exist now, because uh, well, the role of Vladimir Zhirinovsky was enormous for the party. It was party that was centered around him, and now uh, I should say that this party is somewhat lost uh, in trying to find the way to present itself. So Slutsky is most likely to be the candidate Yet I can see them having much chances in the, the upcoming elections. Some possible other candidates from the Liberal Democratic Party of Russia, uh, apart from uh, the leader Leonid Slutsky, uh, have been named as Mikhail Dikterov, uh, who is a, uh, a governor of a far eastern region, uh, former deputy Igor Lebedev, a governor Alexei Ostrovsky. But uh, really, they don't really have any uh, chance, do they, to uh, head into the election? Now, all of these different candidates who we've named, and amongst others, uh, possible possible uh, potential candidates and individuals who are subject of speculation about possible candidacy include uh, Moscow Mayor Sergei Sabyanin, uh, Defence Minister Sergei Shoigu, uh, Deputy Prime Minister Alexander Novak, uh, SVR uh, Director Sergei Narishkin, uh, Senator Andrei Turchak, Presidential Assistant uh, Dmitry Mironov, former President of Russia Dmitry Medvedev, and uh, one uh, in particular person of interest is uh, Governor uh, Alexei Dumin, the governor of the Tula region. Now, this person is somebody who potentially uh, you know, strikes me as someone who could be a serious candidate. What do you make of uh, Dumin's character? He's a military officer, he's a politician, he's actually a hero of the Russian uh, Federation, and he has the rank of general, quite a popular man amongst the soldiers and amongst the people uh, as well. Uh, currently, he uh, is, is married. His wife, Olga, was uh, born in Moscow. He's got a son, Nikita. Uh, he's under sanctions by the United States and other Western countries. Uh, but potentially, he could be a candidate. What do you think of Alexei Dumin? Well, uh, I believe that Dumin is quite an interesting person. Uh, to discuss as a potential candidate. Uh, he, become, he became famous uh, due to the, his uh, involvement in regional policy, yeah. so being the head of the uh, uh, state of Tula. Uh, I believe that he showed that he is not only a military officer, yet he is, in a way, uh, a man to uh, govern this region. It was quite an interesting development of his career, yet uh, if we talk of him as the potential candidate for presidency right now, I think it's too early to say that he would uh, be the man to uh, run for presidency to change uh, Putin. I think that his career is about to develop uh, in a much more, uh, I shall say, interesting ways, and he might take much higher position, yet not as a president right now. What, what possible uh, future do you think awaits Alexei Dumin, then, if not presidency? Well, uh, there is a lot of potential uh, ways his career might develop. Uh, there are a lot of federal government positions he might take, uh, like in the uh, ministry cabinets, so there are a lot of ministries which he might rule, for example. Uh, and uh, I believe that uh, he would be a trustworthy man for the current president Putin, uh, it, it is quite likely for him to take some positions in ministries on the federal level.
Very interesting. And to remind our viewers, uh, the Russian constitution in its new version, which was recently adopted, the presidential candidates must be at least 35 years old. That's the minimum age. Uh, you must be a resident in Russia for at least 25 years. So you need to be living in Russia for at least 25 years. And you may not have foreign citizenship or permanent residency or any type of residency permit of a foreign country, neither at the time of the election, nor at any time before the election. So that means that someone who, for example, has dual citizenship or previously has dual citizenship may not run as a candidate for the presidential election. Uh, what do you make of those rules, uh, Sergei? Those rules, well, I shall say that uh, they resemble the ideas which were circulating in the social discourse for quite a long time. Uh, because uh, it was quite a troublesome aspect uh, in the 90s in Russia when some uh, politicians were, uh, I should say, connected to uh, other countries in a, in a very serious way. So there is... Uh, in, a, in a very compromising uh, way, let's add. Yes. Uh, their connection to other countries uh, led to... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, quite obvious conclusions that they are not really interested in Russian affairs and they are interested in some other countries' affairs and what uh, they can do as the politicians in Russia, it wasn't really clear at the time. So this was quite a problem in the 90s. Currently, I shall say that it isn't really such a problem because most of the Russian politicians, they are sanctioned anyway and uh, they usually don't have any other citizenship. However, uh, I think that there was quite an interesting aspect to this, uh, is uh, the uh, additional act to this constitutional amendment, uh, is the fact that the people from regions which rejoined Russia were allowed to run for the presidency anyway, because, well, people in Crimea... Well, 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 with they, with uh, well, two minutes left, we'll just recap, there is one more candidate who the West is fond of, She's a Russian mother of three, Ekaterina Dunsova. She wants to challenge Putin on an anti-war platform. Candidate who the West is fond of. She's a Russian mother of three, Ekaterina Dunsova. She wants to challenge Putin on an anti-war platform. And she has no experience in politics or any ties to any of the established political parties. Uh, she believes in age, gender, and uh, equality, all that kind of sort of pro-Western garb. Uh, she has been forced to meet with prosecutors. Uh, a likely sign, according to the Western media, that the Kremlin will be questioning her position uh, on the war in Ukraine. Uh, I don't think she has any real chance. In fact, I don't think anyone has any real chance. And if it's asked me, my personal opinion, uh, I think Vladimir Putin should not only uh, run for president, he should just become the Tsar of Russia. Let's make Russia an empire and make Vladimir Putin the king. Why not Let become the emperor? Sergei, with 30 seconds to go, uh, do you agree with that? Well, I think that Russia doesn't really need an emperor because Russia has pretty much the developed institutes of democracy. People elect their president if they want to be the man in charge. So there is no need for a monarch when we can elect the man. With, with 10 so seconds Putin left, will Putin put years. his candidacy forward again? Will he go for it again? I I think he will do this. For There are there are a lot of reasons for this and at least the special military operation. Thank you very much, Sergei, for joining us. We've run out of time. Stay with us after the news. We'll be back with more on the Aussie Kozak Show Saturday Night Live.